Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Monday, July 29th, 2013, and this is podcast number 335, and my name is Ben Stone. Um, I want to mention real quick again that we do have Bad Quaker t-shirts with a brand new design. If you go to badquaker.com and you look across uh, the, the, uh, the pictures that uh, are on the top of the page, look over to the right-hand side just below the pictures, there's a button there. You can go there, and there on that page, there's another button that uh, that says, you know, buy stuff here, buy T-shirts and stickers here, and you hit that button. It takes you over to the Survival Gear Bags page, where uh, Kelly has set it all up to uh, handle all the marketing and everything for us. So, if you want a Bad Quaker T-shirt or stickers uh, with the new design, or if you're just curious about what the new design looks like, go to BadQuaker.com, click that link. Uh, to the page that has the link to Kelly's website. Okay, and I did want to also mention that we've been putting up a high bandwidth and a low bandwidth version. The uh, the subscription, if you click on the RSS feed or, or with the other subscriptions, iTunes or whatever, uh, those are for the high bandwidth, and we're um, we're kind of figuring out what we're going to do with the low bandwidth version. If we're going to stick with it, if we're going to make that the main one, if we're going to maybe you know put up the the high bandwidth as a secondary and use the low bandwidth as the main. Um, certainly, when we go back on the road again, and we plan on doing that in the very near future. Uh, we're going to uh, probably go with the low bandwidth as the primary in order just to save um, bandwidth charges and so forth with the with the mobile carrier. But we're not really sure how we're going to do that. We're still taking input, and uh, and we're still looking it over. Now, today's show is going to be a, 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 co- a conversation I had with a friend of mine, Chandler St. Pierre, and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to edit it and make it sound like I know what I'm talking about or not, but I butchered his name horribly in the beginning of this, so I might be able to edit it around, and, and you may not uh, hear how bad that I sounded. But, you know, I'm, I'm real bad about that with everybody's, with a lot of people's names. I'm real bad about pronunci- about name pronunciation in general. But anyway, uh, I think it was a really good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. We'll have a regular uh, podcast coming up later this week, and we're hoping also that I can get my notes together and finish the series on going beyond civil disobedience. So those are in the works. But for, day, for today, here's the interview, or actually the discussion I did with my friend Chandler. Ben Stone with with Chandler St. Pierre. And Chandler, thanks for coming on the show with me. Pleasure to be with you, Ben. It was great to uh, see you at Porkfest and, you know, kick around the campground and stuff. And we really had a lot of fun there. Absolutely. I, uh, Porkfest was like heaven. Oh, I was just thoroughly impressed first year and I just felt right at home. It was great to see you and, and I met Eddie Free and uh, Davi and Will and a bunch of other people folks at Silver Circle. It was great. Yeah, it really was. I really enjoyed the time up there. And the weather, even though we had some rainy days, overall the weather was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I can't complain. It wasn't too hot. And Yep, I was liking it. I, uh, you know, I was telling my friends it was, uh, I have a diverse crowd of friends I hang out with, and I was like, you know, Porkfest was a bunch of hippies, anarchists, and gun-toting people all walking around peacefully. It was great. <laughs> Did you happen to see the uh, the little um, uh, the video that uh, uh, Larkin Rose did making fun of the movie trailer? F- yeah, the porkage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Larkin is a genius. Yeah, I actually I was wicked excited. I uh, picked up the Iron Web and the Most Dangerous Superstition, and I got his autograph and talked to him for a few minutes after he did his presentation on I think it was Friday morning. Yeah, he's really easily approachable, and he's just really a, a – he's got a great personality. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because 
you know, people that are kind of, I, I guess you'd say famous in the liberty movement, the liberty mission and stuff, you know, sometimes you often wonder, you know, am I going to be intruding or whatever? And yeah, everyone is down to earth. I mean, I sat and talked with a bunch of people there. I mean, I remember we were sitting by the campfire one morning talking about uh, Linux and Mac and stuff. And some guy was just walking by and he was like, he heard our conversation. He's like, oh, really? Why is that? And he ended up sitting down talking with us for like an hour and a half. Yeah, they're very and I know uh, at least one of the guys there was a really um, very qualified Microsoft uh, engineer. I guess is maybe a software writer. I'm not sure the exact terminology, but there was my point being that there was a real wide variety of people from different uh, backgrounds. Oh, absolutely! One of the people that we were camping with. Uh he was a Microsoft programmer, and he did. I I think he had started to do some of the work on that project with Michael. I, I guess he couldn't follow through and finish it; he was too busy. But he had started, and he was telling me about it, and it sounded interesting. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we could probably talk about pretty much anything, and uh, spend. We'd probably have to restrain ourselves to keep it within an hour, but. Oh, with all the stuff in the news today, you know, I was reading a little bit about Ron Paul's new channel that he's bringing in, supposedly TV, but uh, um, I, I guess it's actually going to be an Internet television show, which is kind of like this is an Internet radio show, you know, uh, not really a podcast. No, it's not a podcast. It's Internet radio. So I guess Ron Paul's TV channel is going to be uh, actually just a Internet channel, not an actual TV channel. But, now, was he doing five-minute spots? Um, I think he was doing something like that for radio that they were putting out. But um, and and I'm kind of fuzzy on the whole his whole TV project. But it appears as though it's going to be a, uh, just an internet channel that you can um, you know you can watch a news update on it, or you can watch five minutes with him, or you can sometimes interact with him and. Uh, you know, they'll have different programs and, and stuff like that, but it's essentially, it's just going to be a, a, a widened internet channel as, as far as what I can see. Yeah. That's what I'm reading on the Hill. It says, yeah. Ron Paul's an interesting cat. You know, I, he was one of the big influences that brought me to the libertarian movement and, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how many young people just dig this cat. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was kind of disappointed because I, th I actually thought he was going to maybe get a cable TV channel, and I was pretty excited about that. I think it's a venture that could, you know, uh, financially I think it could support itself. But So I was kind of disappointed that it's just another place on the Internet, you know. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I know that he had a lot of support, you know, with the Campaign for Liberty, and he made a lot of money. So I'm, I'm surprised he's not putting that into a little bit bigger venture. Uh, we were, before we turned on the recording devices, uh, you had mentioned uh, something that you've been thinking about <laughs> lately with the Manning situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it was funny because I was in the doctor's office with one of my clients yesterday and Fox News was on. And I haven't watched the news in a good, oh, five or six years. I just, I can't do it anymore. And uh, they were talking about Bradley Manning and the uh, blonde telecaster, to put it politely, was saying how, reading the talking points and how Manning was an anarchist and he voluntarily <laughs> gave up this information. And I was thinking to myself, okay, and the problem is what exactly? We, yeah. we don't need to hear any further evidence. There's a claim that he was an anarchist. Burn him at the stake. Well, that's the thing, you know, I, I found it interesting. Um, I've, I scan the, the major media sites every day. You know, I have my favorites that I go to for actual news, but I've noticed more and more in mainstream um, reporting that term anarchist being thrown out there. I think as our movement gains steam and people start to see our ideas as valid, the mainstream is trying to discredit us more and more. Yeah, it's funny. You know, if you go back and read, like, uh, old archived newspapers and, and so forth from around 1900, um, the word ar anarchist was thrown around 
exactly like the word terrorist is today. Or, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Islama terrorists or whatever, however you want to throw any kind of levels of fear onto it. That's that's the way they used the word anarchist around 1900. Yeah. Well, there was the predictions of, um, oh, I can't remember, Pike. He was a big Freemason guy in the late 1800s um, involved in the Civil War. Uh, I can't remember his full name. But he had made a prediction that uh, the atheists and the anarchists will take over. And, and, and he painted it in the same way, you know, as, as these violent terrorist groups will overthrow. And, yeah, it just, it still never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I, I remember a while back, you know, when I first started listening to you and, and the Freedom Fiends and uh, a bunch of other people. They were talking about how, you know, we don't know what to call ourselves. You know, we like to say anarchist, but it has that negative connotation. Not me, man. I just throw it right out there. I love it because it gets such a reaction and it gets people talking. You know, you, what, you want to blow up buildings? No. No. Have you ever heard of voluntarism? And, you know, it's a good in. Yeah. I was at, uh, right before Porkfest, my wife and I... Um, wanted to make sure that we had decent internet connections at Porkfest. So we went and uh, set up a Verizon account and we expanded our T-Mobile account and we, we wanted to have backups for everything, you know. So we're standing there in one of these phone uh, company uh, offices waiting, you know, to get to get everything hooked up. And the guy says, uh, so, you know, what, how much uh, bandwidth are you, do you think you're going to be needing? And I'm, and I'm going through this trying to tell him, well, I have a podcast and we may be doing it daily. So we may be having, you know, this much bandwidth and we may be looking at this kind of upload speeds and stuff. And he says, uh, what kind of a podcast do you do? And I kind of stumbled for a second and I looked at my wife and I, I just turned right around and looked at him square in the eye. And I said, I'm an anarchist and we want to throw and we want to overthrow the government all governments, but peacefully. And and there was just like this awkward moment where literally everybody in the store just paused for a second. Like like I just said, uh, I have the plague. <laughs> but but then it just resumed like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. I think that's a product of public indoctrination in the public schools. Uh you know, we're taught that democracy is the best way to go. You know, it's the only successful form of government, which that in itself blows my mind. That's a whole nother podcast. But <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the idea that uh, people can't function, society can't function without a centralized authority. And to even suggest such a thing, it's, I've been reading... Um, uh, the most dangerous superstition and watching a lot of Larkin's talks and stuff. And that is really, you know, as long as you argue about political parties and political systems, you know, eh, it doesn't threaten people too much. But once you start saying that, hey, we can do things better as individuals for ourselves with no centralized control or authority, that really shakes people up and terrorizes them. They don't know what to do. Yeah, it, it completely puts them into uh, into a state of mind where they can't grasp uh, any possible reality that doesn't involve some kind of central planning. Well, and like you said, you know, central planning is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I mean, we planned a week ago to do this podcast. Uh, the people central planned to, to do Porkfest, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. It's just nobody's forcing us. That's the key thing that I, I noticed a lot of people in the Liberty Mission, they're starting to pick up on it more, but that's one of the things they don't emphasize. They don't emphasize the fact that, you know, behind every law, there's a gun, you know, that it's being forced by compulsion and that you have no say in the matter. You have no choice. Yeah, I, 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 ha I don't think I've told this in a while, but I used to say all the time, I used to talk about, um, the family reunions that my family has in eastern Kentucky. And, uh, you know, it's all voluntary. They get together once a year, 
Uh, everybody knows about when it's going to take place, but nobody, you know, throws an iron glove down and says it's going to happen on this date. But yet the date always works its way out, and the location always works its way out, and the primary organizers always kind of work their way to the top. And people show up without any, you know, there's nobody saying, you know, George, you're going to bring chicken. There's nothing like that. It's just uh, people show up with food, and some people don't show up with food. And and there are people that are armed, and there are people that are not armed, and there are people you're not sure about. But it's far away from any authorities, so even if there was a conflict, it would probably take an hour for anybody of, you know, quote-unquote authority to get there. And yet in all the years we've had the family reunion, there's never been a single actual fight. And, and that's considering that some of the people there really don't like each other very much at all. I mean, this is the, the depth of Appalachia. And we had an active family feud, go, or not a feud, but a, uh, uh, yeah, a feud <laughs> uh, going on right up until the 1950s where there was actual shootings involved in it. But yet here we are at the family reunion. And, and it's like neutral ground. All the, the problems are set aside. We just get together, talk about the family, family issues. And uh, every year that would happen spontaneously and yet well-organized and without any violence and without any force. But it, as soon as you start to apply, uh, you know, you take away people's free will and you start to try to make them do things, and nobody is going to be motivated the way that they are when when they're doing it on their own, when they have s sort of self-ownership to uh, decide what they're going to do and be responsible for their actions. Oh, that is so key. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned family reunions because I've been to a few. And there are certain members of my family that when they organize them, yeah, it's you will bring this and he will bring that and we will do this and it will be at this time. And you know what ends up happening? Everyone ends up being miserable. Yeah. Then there are others of us in our family that are more, um, how should I put it, spontaneous, <laughs> a little less organized. And, you know, things may be a little chaotic at first, but, hey, we all get together and we have a good time. I don't know, it's kind of changing gears here a little bit, but I don't know if you saw that the uh, uh, the Temple, Temple of Jupiter, what, there was a sacrilege at the Temple of Jupiter in Washington, D.C. I don't know what that is. <laughs> the uh, Lincoln Memorial is um, designed uh, almost identically to the records that we have of the Temple of Jupiter. With oh, yeah, Instead yeah. of uh, Jupiter sitting on the throne, it's Lincoln. But, uh, yeah, somebody threw paint all over Lincoln and uh, defiled the holy ground there. Oh, man, I wish I could meet him and shake their hand. <laughs> My first thought was, you know, I said something at Porkfest that got translated uh, very differently as soon as it left my mouth, but I said something to the effect of that if Washington Monument was to come tumbling down at 3 o'clock in the morning, that that would not violate the zero aggression principle because essentially the monument belongs to no one. There's no single individual that has ownership over that. So if I was to go out there and hook onto it with a tractor and yank it down, you know, uh, I would own it as far as libertarian principles go. But, of course, I would probably be shot and be dead, so it wouldn't really matter that much. But, but anyway, somehow that got translated that I was uh, uh, supporting the blowing up of government buildings. And, of course, I don't support blowing up anything. But, uh, but that was the first thing I thought of when I found out that the Lincoln Memorial had been uh, vandalized was, uh, um, well, at least it wasn't the Washington Monument, so I can't get blamed for it. Yeah, well, that, you know, that uh, speech you did and talking about how government can't own property and that how public property, you know, you can do whatever and it's not really violating the non-aggression principle. I've talked to some people about that and they just can't wrap their minds around it. No, it it's destruction. That's all of ours. That's our... Our pride, our, our heritage, that's our public lands, blah, blah, blah. And it, I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> Did you want to be, have your family robbed for generations to build that? That's a good way to you know, get them thinking, well, no, but you always have that but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a point that's really difficult. Even people in the liberty you know, uh, mindset really have a hard time wrapping their, their head around uh, whether or not government can actually own things and whether 
whether just you know if I own um, I don't know let's say I own a uh, a paper box and I decide that I'm done using that paper box there's absolutely nothing wrong with me stomping on it smashing it flat putting it in a in a fire and burning it or you know throwing it in the garbage or um, you know, making drawing on it and making cutouts and and uh, and having a little uh, puppet party with my cutouts. Whatever I want to do with my paper box is mine. And I think most libertarians, most anarchists, most people would recognize that um, to be the case. But then when you take that out to the next stage and you say, okay, well, um, who owns the Washington Monument? Who owns, uh, you know, Lincoln Memorial? Well, we all do. How can we all do that? How can we all own it? If I own it, can I go over there and you know pitch a tent next to it? Uh, can I draw my name on it? I, and the, of course not, because the guns will be there. They'll stop me. So I don't own it, do I? Then who who does own it? And by what authority do they own it? And and you start taking you go through those steps, and you understand Lockean principles of. Uh, uh, of um hmm, what's that word <laughs> um, homesteading and you realize that uh no one owns government property uh you, you stretch your mind to be as collectivist as possible and and still no one really owns government property therefore it's all available for homesteading and uh, and how do we homestead something? Well, we change its structure in some way. We take uh, possession of it and we alter it in some way. And if and then it becomes mine if I do that. Well, if it's mine, it's just like the paper box. I can destroy it if I want. Who can tell me not to? But the leap there to go from you know <laughs> completely rejecting government ownership to destroying property. Um, it's a real uh, delicate balance for some people to to even play with it as a thought exercise. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me how much people, whether they're collectivists, statists, or just average everyday Joes, will go to defend the rights of government to, you know, extract wealth, to confiscate property for the public good. I just, I don't understand it. You know, with the revelations... Well, to some of us, it's revelations to others. We've known for years of all the spying the government does on us, of the police state that we see unfolding every day on a local level. Forget the federal level. Yet these people continue to defend the very entity that's oppressing them. I, I've never been able to wrap my head around it. I guess, you know, from a very young age, I, I went to Catholic school, which was just bad. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a French Catholic community and went to the church and Catholic school. And I got kicked out of Catholic school because I was quite outspoken about things. Bad Chandler. But I've bad, always bad had... Bad Chandler. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I've always had this uh, natural um, distrust of authority and questioning, you know, why do I have to do this just because you say it? I... I don't understand why that's so lost on the vast majority of the population nowadays. Yeah, um, you know, that's really a, a, an aspect of critical thinking that forces a person, you know, to think logically. If, if, if you're constantly saying, well, I was told to do this, so I'm going to do it, and you don't question any, any further than that, then you, you never exercise your mind to start thinking out processes and thinking why things happen. And you just basically become no different than a machine. You know, press a button and the thing does what it's supposed to do and that's the end of it. It's, it really dehumanizes the, the, the mind. But, uh, but that spark inside that says, why should I do that? I mean, that's really the essence of humanity. Yeah, I think it comes down to as well, you know, when I was a kid growing up doing all kinds of foolish things, my grandmother would always say to me, you know, I'd say, hey, well, the other neighborhood, kid, neighborhood kids were doing it. And she'd say, so if the other neighborhood kids jumped off the bridge, would you? And I was like, but, well, um, no. <laughs> you know, she really got me to think. And I mean, yeah, I wonder. I wonder why that critical spark in people is so suppressed. I mean, I thoroughly believe, I, I heard you say once in a podcast that, uh, we don't convert libertarians. They're, we're born as libertarians and anarchists, and we just have to fight through the indoctrination 
mm. that yeah. we've received growing up. Yeah, the and discovery. I thoroughly believe that. Yeah, the discovery of what's in there. This uh, um, Snowden guy. Uh, I saw a headline this morning that the U.S. is now saying that that oh well, if Russia will be good and send him over to us, we won't kill him. We promise. Uh-huh. And I was walking by the TV, and that was scrolling across the bottom. You know that the U.S. promises not to kill him if if Russia uh, sends him over here. And I don't know if you've uh, heard about this. Have you? Did you know about this reporter, um, Michael Hastings, that uh, was killed in his car? I heard something about it. Some a friend of mine had posted something on Facebook. I haven't looked into it yet. Well, it wasn't long ago that several universities. Um, researchers at the universities discovered that the new modern cars that are so magical with all the computer uh, functioning things can be easily hacked into and you can take control of the car. And even Forbes did a a little piece on it not long ago so that you can literally walk up to one of these new cars with a music CD that also has a, a program on it like a virus and you just plug that music CD into the CD player of the car, and with a couple of minutes of playing an actual, you know, music with the with the program running in the background, you can take con- total control of the car. That means control the windows, control the brakes, control the door locks, control the the um, seat belt mechanism, so that you can actually tighten. You know, right before a car gets in a wreck nowadays, they sense that they're about to be in a wreck, and they tighten the seat belt down on you. Well, you can uh, using the computer. You can tighten the seatbelt on on somebody so tight that they can barely move. Uh, you uh, using the computer. You can take over the steering, the brakes. You can even make the car uh, so that when you step on the brake pedal, it doesn't even light the brake lights. And so for and and all that's been you know heavily publicized. So you can literally with a uh, with a CD plugged into the thing, and then ejected later, because once the program's in there, it's in there, then you can use a controller just like a remote control for like a remote control airplane or whatever, and drive the car, uh, lock the doors, cinch down the seat belt, uh, you know, lock the windows so they won't roll down, uh, disable the brakes so that you can't stop it, and accelerate, and even steer and all this stuff remote control. So so now we have this uh, this reporter who has told everybody in his list, uh, you know, his email list and on Twitter and all these other sources, that he's being followed, he's afraid, he contacts WikiLeaks and asks to, uh, to talk to one of their attorneys. He tells his family, watch out, the FBI is probably going to question you. And then, uh, uh, and, and the guy... Uh, doesn't drink, hasn't had a, a drop to drink in like five years, and yet at 3 o'clock in the morning he's in a brand-new Mercedes screaming across Los Angeles, plows into a tree, and uh, burns to death. And it, all the indications are that he didn't even touch the brakes, uh, just you know, like 80, 100 miles an hour screaming down a street right into a tree. Um, this is a guy who his friends say uh, drives like a little old lady, you know, and so the day before he's going to release all this stuff on the CIA, he magically dies in a fire. And the first thing that Mercedes does is they're like, uh, our cars don't do that. Our cars don't burst into flames when they have a frontal impact. Uh, engines don't go flying out of our cars because that's one of the things that happened with his car was the engine flew out. Um, you know, so Mercedes is like, that's our cars don't do that. Well, <laughs> this one did. Yeah, it's... Um it really scared you know i'm a technology buff i have right now in front of me i have four computers and three monitors and many devices i finally took the leap to a quote unquote smartphone that's killing me um but uh, and as a teaser once uh, my cohorts and i get our our stuff together here our first podcast one of the big things we're going to be hitting up is technology now here's a thought to think about you think about uh, tablets, operating systems, especially the smartphones, and all the apps that they have for free, for free. They're just going to give them to you because, you know, they're nice people, <laughs> all these computer programmers. No strings. No, nah, there's no strings. We have raised, well, first off, before I even go into that, any of you that have an Android phone, go to, I, I think I have Google Play is the, the 
thing that you can download apps. And there's a couple of cool ones that I thought would be useful and I've downloaded. I've actually read the permissions <laughs> and I've declined some of the apps that I really would like to have because of the permissions that they can basically take control of your phone. Um, and for you uh, Android buffs out there, in Android 4.3, there's a new app. I don't have it right now. I'd have to dig through my phone. But it basically lets, if you're going to download an app from Google Play or whatever, it will allow you to edit. And, you know, if, if this app says, I need permission for network, for location, blah, 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 you can say, all right, I'll allow it for this, but not for that which is a long overdue feature. Unfortunately, I'm on Android 4.2, so I don't have that. But we've raised a whole generation of, of kids and young adults even who don't know how to use a typewriter. They have been brought up on iPads and iPhones and uh, computers and, and all these wonderful gizmos that help make life better. And so much of it is given to us. You know, they, they give the, the laptops in schools and they have programs where you can get a, a smartphone if you're low income. So we create this whole dependent class of people that are dependent on technology. Now, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but what if one day all of that was suddenly taken away? Mm, How yep. do you think a vast majority of society would react to that and function? I really don't think it's that far-fetched either. I know it sounds a little Alex Jonesy, but if for some reason, you know, the power uh, grid went down or, or there was a massive uh, computer virus, whatever, whatever it was, if those um, technologies were suddenly made inaccessible, how would people react? Yeah, it's quite a, th quite a thought if you think about it. It's a scary one. Hey, uh, let's break here for a second, and uh, I'll throw in some advertisers, and uh, we'll come right back more with uh, Chandler St. Pierre. Pierre. <laughs> more with that crazy guy in Maine. More with Chandler St. Pierre in just a minute. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. And I'm back with Chandler. Chandler, um, I wanted to... Uh, uh, give you a chance to talk about, you know, you've done podcasts before and you mentioned just now that you're going to start up a new podcast. Why don't you tell my listeners about that? Okay. Well, we, um, my friend uh, CJ Williamson and Diana Marsh, we're all on Facebook. We used to do a podcast called uh, Brush Fires of the Mind. And that was uh, basically when we started that out, we were still in the um, minarchist uh, mindset and we had a lot of different guests I know we had you on a few times we had Mama Liberty on a lot I think we had Michael and Niemer on we used to have a friend of ours named Peter who was a real big law guy he did a lot of the uh, what you guys call magic word stuff <laughs> and you know it's interesting though because I will I, to his credit um, he would talk and talk and talk about all this stuff but he always said to us he's like look you can research and practice everything I'm teaching you. He says, but what it all boils down to is when you get in that courtroom, if that criminal in the robe doesn't like what you're saying, he can shoot you down. No matter if everything you say is factual and accurate, your rights are out the window as soon as you step into that court. That's so, very true. Yeah. So, I mean, he, at least he didn't mislead us, you know. So we did that for quite a while, and uh, we decided to take a break um, you know, those guys had a lot of stuff going on. They had moved. I had just bought a house. And uh, we recently, oh, a few months ago, started up a new site uh, called flightofthebastards.com. Which is a and, great site, by the way. Yeah, when we're active. <laughs> we've all been kind of, um, you know, 
doing our own thing and we haven't had much time. It's funny how life catches up with you. You know, you, you get into something, whether it's podcasting or blogging, and you get right into it and you do it every day and then life kind of catches up with you and you have other stuff to do. But we, uh, we plan to get back into that. And um, we were actually supposed to do a podcast this past week, but that kind of fell through because of scheduling stuff. Um, we're shooting for this week. We were going to do a live podcast. The podcast, I believe, is going to be called Bastards University. And basically our mission statement, I guess, I mean, you can go to flightofthebastards.com and check it out. We just want to keep an eye on the media. You know, we like to look at what the media is saying and read between the lines as to what they're not saying, what they're trying to obscure, to obfuscate, that sort of thing. Kind of give our own spin on what the stories are. And a lot of times we talk about stuff that isn't in the media. You know, um, I like computer uh, music, stuff like that. I'm real big on that. Diana is, uh, she write well, she used to write for a metal magazine. Now she's doing her own uh, interviews, you know. So it's not just uh, current events and just strictly liberty-oriented material. I mean, you know, we have all kinds of stuff we like to talk about. And uh, CJ makes... Uh, he uses that extra normal program, you know, the, the little round figures, and they talk like this. And he <laughs> makes some great videos. They're all up on the site. Um, we have uh, a series that he's done. It's o- Obama versus the Bastards. And, oh, man, it, they are hilarious. He does a great job with that. So, yeah, we're, we're shooting. We, uh, we're trying to do, keep going and do the live podcast like we used to, but we're having tefic technical difficulties. I'm still trying to hammer that out, how we can do it live. We did a test broadcast, and the way it worked was the audience could either hear me or could either hear them, but they couldn't hear both of us. That was quite an interesting two-hour show, Um, but we're working on it. So I think what we'll end up doing in the meantime is just recording a podcast and putting it up. I'm not big on editing. I mean, we're pretty freeform. We're not as... um, family friendly and as intelligent <laughs> sounding as your podcasts are. Um, we try to be, but you know, we, we go off sometimes, especially if we've had a few beers or whatever, which we, we tend to do when we get together on the air. We tend to have a few and, and all that, but it's a good time. You know, it's, we just like the, it's, our podcasts are more like, uh, it's three friends sitting around having a beer, talking about, you know, what, what's going on, you know? So that's pretty much what we're into. Well, I can't wait till you guys get started back up again. I enjoyed your old show quite a bit, and I really like the website uh, that's that's there now. Uh, I've before I left, before I abandoned Facebook, uh, I was every time there was an update, I'd jump over there and see it and try to share it. It was really good. Yeah, appreciate that. So you left Facebook, huh? I I, I saw your post a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what, what, why is that? Are you following the same? Uh, same road as Michael Dean, or um, it's it's possible. You know, Michael has a, a large influence on me, and I really respect him in in tremendous amount. And I and I, you know, I was really thinking. I, I didn't go into Facebook uh, by my choice anyway. Um, a, a friend literally begged me to go on Facebook and help them promote their website and so forth. So I went on to Facebook, what, like five years ago or whatever, specifically for that purpose, to help that friend promote their website. And um, then I kind of got addicted to it. And, and, I, and I'm not sure but what that's a, an accurate phrase, addicted to Facebook. Because, it is. Yeah, it, it's really difficult to not be on Facebook, especially once you really get used to, to you know hitting it several times a day. And it was just swallowing up so much of my time, and and I and this is going to sound really bad. I, I don't know how to say this and not sound like a jerk, but um, I would have conversations on Facebook that I would be you know uh, a, a pretty good way into the conversation, and then I would realize that the person I'm talking to doesn't even know I have a podcast, doesn't have any idea where I stand on things, and I'm assuming in the conversation that they already understand some things that are, you know, I'm, I'm, let's put it this way, I'm talking on a college level, and they're still holding a crayon, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, drawing a happy face and a, and a sunshine or something. And I'm like, man, 
I could sit on Facebook for hours nonstop and cover this stuff, or I can get off of Facebook, I can do some research, and I can put out some decent podcasts. And uh, but I can't do both because there's only so many hours in a day, and I, and I, you know, I'm not good at that entry level um, thought process stuff. I'm I'm better at taking something like what we we're talking about with property. I mean, that's you know uh, the the concept that government can't own property is pretty advanced in in liberty thinking. And, you are and, definitely the college professor of the Liberty <laughs> Mission, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But, but, uh, but, you know, you can't just spit that out to somebody who, who votes at every election and who expects that the next big leader is going to save the world and we can just get back to the Constitution. Everything will be fine. It will all be rosy like it was in 1950 or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, you, you can't throw that kind of stuff at a person like that. And, and one, one person that I'll pick on specifically – uh, they made a statement that was so um, unbelievably backwards and wrong, and I made a little comment to it, and I, I said something to the effect of, well, you know, you know, you don't realize it, but this is a religion that you've gotten a hold of, and until you abandon this false religion of you know, statism, you can't really think clearly about topics like this. And that person literally was livid. I mean, it was just like... Um, you know, I, I can't say on this particular podcast the kind of language that was used, but it was all just frothing with hate towards me. And it's like, dude, I just I didn't say anything that's all that wildly out of, you know, if you ever hear You're my podcast. just pod- calling them like you see them. Yeah. If you've ever heard my podcast, if you've ever heard Larkin Rose talk, if you've ever heard Stefan Molyneux, if you've ever heard any of these things, I didn't say anything out of the ordinary, you know. But it, but they were just livid because of it, because I pointed out that I, I had the audacity to say that your belief system is a religion. Well, yeah, everybody, every belief system to some extent is a religion, but, you know. So, I'm curious, was this guy an atheist? Uh, no, I would probably classify him as, well, he, he plays around with Eastern mysticism a little bit. But um, I would I would probably call him a non-Christian theist, if that would be uh, accurate. Well, I know that uh, that really – the whole idea of statism as a religion really intrigued me and really got me thinking. And I know I've talked to people, and when I've pointed that out, I have some atheist friends. When I've pointed that out, they have been livid. You know, because they're atheists. They don't believe in a God. I'm like, well, you kind of do, you know, (laughs) and and they just cannot wrap their heads around it. And, you know, Facebook, it's an interesting place. I will admit uh, about a year ago and probably a year prior, I was a Facebook junkie. I was on Facebook at least four or five times a day, you know, and granted, my interactions were posting news articles that I thought was relevant that other people weren't talking about. I don't do the silly things, you know. I'm not much for the cat pictures. They're entertaining, and I'm not dissing people that do. But I don't uh, detail my every movement on Facebook like some people do. But I spent a lot of time on Facebook, and uh, I also spent a lot of times in, like, the Tea Party groups, the Occupy groups, uh, talking, trying to find that bridge to connect these people. Mm -hmm. And they all thought I was crazy. And I tried and tried. And I spent a lot of time. I used to talk to a lot of people. Um, I mean, I had, you know, I don't know, probably 50 people that I actually knew in person. And then another 250 that I just met on Facebook. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found, though, over the last eight months, my I just don't have the, the patience or the desire to spend that much time. I mean, I'll pop on, post an article, maybe a quick thought, and that's it. So I've gone two or three days without using Facebook. So I'm not willing to give it up and deactivate it. Um, there are definitely times where I, ha- I want nothing to do with it. But I've just kind of finally gotten to the point where I can pace myself. And, you know, I've met a lot of 
I, I know what Facebook is. I know it's one of the control mechanisms. I know it's one of the tools for spying on people. But you know what? I met and became aware of a lot of really cool people on Facebook. I had a friend who recently passed away that I met on Facebook. I've never met this person face-to-face who had a very, very profound effect on my life. Really got me thinking about things that I was afraid to think about and things that I had never even considered. So, and I remember one of one of the best things we were having an off Facebook conversation. We used to we would get on Facebook and say, "Hey," and we'd put an arrow key and that would mean we'd go to our we used to use an encrypted instant messenger and uh, we'd talk. And I remember one of the things she had said to me, we were talking about collectivism and statism. And she never even came out and said she was an anarchist, you know. She just real-life woman that had seen some stuff, man. Wow. But uh, she told me we were talking about anonymous and hackers and, and people in the liberty movement. And uh, she said to me, you know what I try to think of as a giant collective of individuals, and I was like, wait, no, collectivism, bad, bad, bad. And she's like, no, 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 think about it for a minute. You have this collective in the sense that it's a vast, vast amount of individuals with different desires, different interests, different uh, backgrounds. But they all have a common collective goal of liberty. And she said, and they all do it differently and they don't diss you for how you do it. You don't diss them for how they do it. They, everyone does their own thing. It's, mm. uh, it's very unorganized, but it pushes towards that goal. Yeah, that's a cool thought. Um, speaking of hackers and the uh, direction I was going a minute ago with the tinfoil hat stuff about that reporter, Michael Hastings, they're one of the prominent hackers that was getting ready to reveal some really uh, important stuff at the upcoming hacker convention. Yeah, just, I just saw that. Yeah, just mysteriously, he's dead. And the first thing police say is, uh, oh, nothing here to see. Of course, Barnaby Jack, world's most elite computer hacker, dead at 35. I saw that on Activist Post this morning. Yeah. Yeah, that's really messed it's, up. It's happening more and more. Have you noticed that? Um, talented people are having accidents happen to them. Yeah, right before uh, they're, they're getting gonna, arrested. Yeah. Right before they're about to announce something or do something big. Well, I've long said, and I know you and many others have reiterated this, it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. And I don't think people quite grasp that. You know, I mean, they're starting to get an inkling with the economic situation mm-hmm. and how things, I don't, and by the way, I don't buy the whole catastrophic collapse. I don't think you're going to see that. Um, I think you're, have you seen Silver Circle, the movie Silver Circle? No. Oh, it's good. It's really good. I, I picked up a copy at Porkfest. I think you're going to see that, it, the, what's depicted in that movie. You're just going to see, you know, out of control inflation. Right. Uh, increased levels of poverty, increased levels of dependency. I don't think you're going to see the complete crash and the, uh, you know, apocalyptic, every man for himself, that sort of thing, which right. is what a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of patriot types are preparing for. Some even wanting, I think. I think you're right there. I think that plays right into the state's hands, too. The, yeah. the controllers, whoever you want to call them. I don't know. You know everyone has different names for them. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of think uh, that there will be a, maybe not slow, but there will be a spiraling down of um, uh, a government will fail on, on small scales over and over and over and over, and they'll increase in tyranny uh, in small scales over and over until, uh, you know, um, until government just can't do anything right anymore. You know, the only thing they'll be able to do is be the thugs on the block and then at some point people figure this out and there won't be a market for the government anymore but but yeah i don't i don't i don't think we'll just wake up one day and all the power is going to be out and you know uh, all the water is going to be off and there's going to be hordes of biker gangs roaming through the streets and i don't i don't accept that uh, as a future no i think you'll see a more accurate model will be like detroit yeah you know, exactly the, the cops won't respond to emergency calls or they'll take an hour if if they respond at all, 
but they'll sure as heck uh, write you that traffic violation. Yeah. My, my fellow podcaster, CJ, he's outside of Detroit. He's in Michigan. And, uh, you know, he was telling me the other day, it's, it's just ridiculous. You know, they, the cops are, and you, I see it here. I mean, we see it every month. You know, there'll be two areas of town where the cops will just be one after another pulling people over. They're doing the rent seeking. That's yeah. all they can do. You know, I had a run-in with a cop. I ran a, <laughs> oh my goodness, I ran a red light, I guess, I was told. And uh, it was a female officer. And I was very polite. Uh, I, I really, anyone that knows me knows I have no respect for cops and I don't like cops. But I always try because, you know, you might get one and you might plant an idea in their head. Right. But uh, I got one and, you know, I was really polite everything and she came back and wrote me the ticket and I was like really you know come on can't you have a heart cut me some slack you know and she said well it's people like you and and the minute she said that I just lost it and I went (laughs) off on this woman and just you know asked her how she felt about being an enforcer for a corrupt state you know just I just laid some stuff on her and she didn't know what to make of me you know and then she finally said to me well when you're in trouble, don't bother calling us. And I said, you see this lady? And I pointed to my gun. I was like, I carry a gun on me at all times. I'm responsible for my own protection and my own safety. I don't ever call cops. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to see. The boot's just going to come down further and further. And hopefully, like you said, it'll just decrease that demand. I did that a very similar thing to a judge one time. I pulled, uh, I was going to pick up my son. He, uh, my son worked at the time, this was years ago, my son worked at a grocery store. And uh, um, for some reason, we had needed his car, so I was gonna. So I took his car down to pick him up when he got off work at the grocery store, and I had kind of hovered around the backside of the parking lot waiting until I could see him walking towards the door through the big glass windows in the front of the grocery store. So I saw him walking towards the door. So I was just gonna pull right up to the to the front, and he could step right into the car, and we could drive off. Well, as I pulled up to the front and stopped, I literally, the wheels hadn't, hadn't been stationary for maybe three seconds. And my, my son was literally coming through the doors, walking towards the car. And a cop pulls right up next to me with his window down, and my window was down. And he barks at me, you know, to get out of the way. To, I can't park there. I'm like, I'm not parking here. I'm picking up my son. He's right there. He's walking towards the car. And immediately threat you know you're gonna move this car you're gonna move it right now or i'm gonna ticket you and i looked at him i go ticket me whatever and so my my attitude with the cop resulted in me getting a ticket and so then i go to court with it and i'm standing there waiting my turn for the you know the so-called judge and uh, he finally calls me up there and he reads his little thing his notes from the cop which included the statement that I didn't seem very respectful. <laughs> so uh, he gets all done, and he says, well, um, if you have anything to say about this, this is a good time to say it. You can plead guilty, or you can plead, plead not guilty, or you can plead no contest. Uh, he says, I think I'm inclined to fine you $85 plus court fees, which are going to be like $35, and we'll drop it at that. And he, he says, do you have anything particular, particular you'd like to say? And I kind of gave him the speech that you probably gave to that cop where I told him exactly what I thought about his, uh, his little pretty little black dress he's wearing and all the pretend authority <laughs> that he had. And, uh, um, it, you know, I really laid it out to him because I've got a captive audience. I've got probably 75 people in court and a stenographer that's taking down everything I'm saying. And the judge is standing there with his mouth open like, like you know, I'm calling his mother names or something. I wasn't, but, it, you know, it was like that. I was yes. infringing upon that level of holiness to him, you know. And I got all done. And he looks at me. He says, I have never heard anything like that in my life. Uh, if, I, if I hadn't already said what I would find you, I'd hold you in contempt of court right now. I said, do it. You, you think you have the authority? These, the, you know, the cops around here with guns say you have the authority. Do it. And, and you know, I was of the luxury where I could take a few days off work. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have been a big deal. And he was so angry that he just closed the case and kicked me out of his court. And, and you know, it was such a pleasure to do that. 
Oh, I, I know exactly what you mean because I, well, actually, when I, I contested that traffic violation, of course, and I plan to, I actually have quite a, a similar approach that I'm going to take when the judge calls me up. Um, and it'll involve some legal stuff. And I don't, again, I know, you know, it's all up to the judge, but my hope is that he'll just be like, Oh my God, he's one of those magic words people. Just get him out of my courtroom before the other sheep hear what he has to say. I'm hoping that's how it'll play out. But I was in court uh, the, a couple weeks ago for a speeding ticket. And I haven't been to traffic court in like 13 years. I, I just I haven't gotten any. And I was shocked. You know, the judge was decent. I'll give her credit. And she's like, she laid it all out. She's like, look, you can approach this however you want she says just remember this is a civil matter and in civil matters it's not like a criminal matter uh we're in a criminal matter that the prosecution has to prove your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in a civil matter whatever it may be traffic or you know disputes whatever they just have to have a preponderance of the evidence and she basically came out and said the state the 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 outcome is in the state's favor by default, and you have to work really hard to get out of it. Wow, at least I was she was shocked. honest. Yeah, well, that was what shocked me the most. I mean, she was completely honest, and she, she basically came out and said that. I think she actually said, uh, you know, that it's in the state's favor. And she's like, again, you can pursue it any way you want. And I noticed, I guess what they do now, at least up here, is she said, okay, this is... They did roll call, you know, make sure you're there. She says, after that, I'm going to step away from the bench and you guys are going to go out into the lobby and the cops will call your names and you'll meet and you'll bargain with the cops. Oh, wow. I mean, it's total rent seeking. Like, okay, I know we wrote, like, my ticket was 185 for speeding, mind you, and which, whatever. But, <laughs> you know, on a four lane highway and I wasn't going fast and people were passing me. That's besides the point. 185 bucks from a guy who is a single dad and works, you know, busts his ass just to survive. Yeah, that was great. But yeah, I mean, they were, you know, the cops were calling the names and they, I talked to some people. They were like, yeah, well, we'll plea for, I'm like, screw that. I ain't pleading for nothing. I want a trial, baby. I want to get in that courtroom and, and piss some people off, you know? And funny enough, our, uh, there was three of us and the state trooper didn't show up and I waited and I waited. Mind you, I took a day off from work for this garbage. And I said to the clerk, I said, Hey, look, nobody's called my name. And they're like, Oh, what's your name? And they said, they looked up. I was like, Oh, the cop's not here. I'm like, Oh good. Case dismissed. Right. They're like, no, no, no. Hold on. We have to call him up. I'm like, are you kidding me? The guy didn't even have the decency to show up for, you know, to make his case against my alleged violation. Now you're going to call him and give him a second chance. I mean, it ended up that they let it go, you know, case dismissed. But boy, wasn't I mad. Would they have given you a, an extra call? <laughs> uh, no. If I hadn't showed up, it would have been like, boom. They would have assumed that, you know, they would have said, here's your fine. And they don't mail you anything. If you don't show up and you don't pay the fine within 30 days, they take your license. So, yeah, they wouldn't have given me that luxury. <laughs> But that's the state for you. Yeah. You know, they don't have to follow their own rules. No, they don't. It's, it's crazy. They make it up as they go. That's, yeah. I think, uh, I think I wandered there earlier. That's, that's why I was thinking that uh, this Snowden guy, you know, if the government promises they won't kill him and then they bring him over here, and, I mean, what's the option? Uh, he might accidentally die in custody like so many have, or he might yeah. sit in a, in a you know a cement box for like three years with, with the light staying on all the time, totally naked, you know, with no, not even a blanket to cover up with because that's what they did to... Uh, to uh, Bradley Manning. Yeah, yeah. So oh, they'll make an example. They will make an example. They cannot tolerate this, this sort of dissent. Yeah. You know, people in their own employ making fools of them and exposing their, their misdeeds, they cannot have that. You know, I, I have some notes that I was working on this morning for a future podcast, and I was looking at some of these deaths, and it's probably why it's on my mind, but some of the deaths that have taken place recently, like uh, Andrew Breitbart um, was mm -hmm. going to announce something, and then he just drops dead the night before. There's a guy who witnesses him dying who's an ex-EMT, who says he doesn't at all look like he had a heart attack. He was bright red. People with a heart attack, they're either pale or blue. 
Um, and so, and he was bright, bright red, so he wasn't having a heart attack. Well, that guy disappeared. I mean, he just literally disappeared. Nobody has seen him. His family has disappeared. He's gone. Then the coroner, there was the main coroner and there was the assistant coroner who was doing the photography and so forth. And he kind of says some things that are not in the, you know, not acceptable to the mainline story. And the guy dies of an arsenic poisoning, of a massive arsenic poisoning. And that is a very horrible, painful, you know, gut-wrenching, vomiting, bloody diarrhea-type way to die. And it was almost like they were sending a message to other medical professionals in the, uh, you know, coroners and things. Like, you know, you don't tell anything that goes on behind those doors. You say exactly what you're told to say, and that's all you say. Otherwise, you die like this guy. The police are not even going to investigate the guy's death. It's like... Yeah, it used to be that they would put a gag order on people. Yeah. And... You know, that causes suspicion and controversy. Now they just kill you. Yeah. And then this reporter, he's going to release something about the CIA the very next day. Bam, he dies in a fiery accident, you know. And then, I mean, it's it's like the examples that they're setting, the way they take these people out. Uh, Manning is going to sit in a, in a concrete cell with the light on 24-7, you know, naked without even a blanket for years. And then they drag him in front of a, a court and call him an anarchist and, and talk about his uh, sexual preferences and things like this. It's like this is this is the example that they're setting to keep people in line. It's really angry, hmm, disgusting. Yeah, I, I got a message for the state as far as that concerns. And, you know, the state is aware of Anonymous and all the other millions of groups out there like that. The genie's out of the bottle, you know. We are a collective of individuals, and they can capture some of us. They can cage us. They can torture us. They can, you know, kill our families, but they can't stop everyone. Eventually, their misdeeds will just be more and more and more and more apparent. People, I, you know, I try to end things on a positive note because I tend to get kind of doomy and gloomy and fed up with society as a whole. But I got to tell you. The more people I talk to, I, I have found people recently who have no political preferences, don't like to watch the news, blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you, they are those natural-born anarchists. Yeah. They, they like to have gardens. They like to think for themselves. They like to, you know, uh, carry guns or they don't disapprove of other people. All the myriad of things. And they're coming out of the woodwork and they're starting to see, you know, where five years ago, if I would have mentioned some of the stuff going on, they would have said, oh, keep listening to Alex Jones, buddy. Yeah. Now they're like, wow, you know, that's ridiculous. Even, even the, the, the lefties and, and the Tea Party people are starting to find common ground. You know, who would have thought that would have ever happened? Yeah. So there is hope out there. Yeah. Uh, the uh, statist uh, hippopotanical landmass that's the so-called governor of New Jersey uh, took a swipe at the libertarian people. He he claimed that uh, the Democrat and Republican parties are are you know basically polluted by this kind of thinking, and uh, and then he invokes the you know nine one one nine eleven and the deaths Ugh. and everything as his little uh, punch. Like like we caused that right? Like like uh, f- like freedom oriented policies irritated people on the other side of the globe so they i mean that it's crazy um and and i really think of course there's a lot of people that are going to buy that kind of crap when they hear it but i really think for a lot of people they hear that kind of thing and they and they realize you know we got to be making a difference otherwise they wouldn't be saying stuff like that they wouldn't mm-hmm. throw out the word anarchist at the uh, manning trial they wouldn't be they wouldn't be so worried like they are if yeah, uh, that's it, you know, if they were really comfortable in their position, they wouldn't be scared of us. And that's it. They are. make no mistake. I mean, I understand, you know, people are like you're crazy. They control everything. Blah, blah. Look, I know I, I done all the research. I, I know all the theories and everything. And I'm sure I don't pretend to know, you know, which 13 people run the world or whatever, <laughs> any of that stuff. I know there are a lot of very powerful influences in this world, and I know that they can do a lot of things with the snap of a finger. But 
the fact remains that more and more people are embracing the ideas of liberty. More and more people are caring. Or more and more people are getting pissed off. That's the other thing. You know, if governments around the world were smart, they wouldn't piss their populace off. Because yeah. when they start pissing them off, they start waking up. Yeah. That's why I woke up. You know, yep. I saw the, the misdeeds going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I started to question. I mean, I used to be Mr. You know, I saw the Rush Limbaugh and Mr. Conservative and used to buy the party line, hook, line, and sinker, you know. And then I started seeing some of the misdeeds happening at home and abroad, and I was like, wait a minute here, you know. And the more they push, the more they're going to wake people up and get people questioning. Yep. They're not very smart sometimes. On that note, Chandler, I think I, I uh, got to cut us off. We're at our time limits, but uh, I sure appreciate you coming on the show with me today. Oh, it's an honor, Ben. Thank you for having me on. And folks, thanks for listening today, and remember to visit badquaker.com, where liberty is our mission. Thanks a lot, folks.